If there was ever a time for the gospel that can transform the human heart, it's now. Invest what little time we have in the kingdom of God. I am honored and privileged to introduce our speaker this morning. When Julie and I first came to the church in 2009, there was this young man hanging around, and I liked him a lot. He was very creative, and he, he helped me lead worship a couple times, and Never did I dream he'd become my son-in-law. I might have done things a little differently. I don't know about that. <laughs> Truly, I am very proud to call him my son-in-law. Not only has he treated my daughter very well and given me two awesome grandsons, but he's a man after God's own heart, and that's the most important thing. And so he is our guest speaker today. Would you welcome Draper? Well, good morning, everyone. So just to give you a little background on myself, like James said, I came to this church when I was around 18 or 19. I got saved at that time. And it was in this church where the beginning stages of my discipleship happened. And the love of missions were cultivated in my heart. And like he said, I even married his daughter. So I scored a deal. Well, some more information about us. My family and I, we live and serve in the Arab world, proclaiming the gospel and planting churches among Muslims. So we are Assemblies of God ministers, but we also work for an organization called Live Dead. And this is a grassroots movement, a part of a network of churches and denominations and even nations where we go to places where Christ is not known and we plant churches we share the gospel, and we also train up new missionaries. That's our heart and our passion. So for the past three years, we've been learning Arabic, business, Islamic evangelism, and more. And we even came back with two little kids from one of these cities. The city we lived in was one of the biggest in the Middle East. Vehicles were constantly honking. People filled the streets. You were constantly dogging, dodging cars, dogs, cats, and even street weasels. And they say when you first arrive in the city, it punches you in the face with all its glory because it's so nuts. So geographically, it's about the size of Los Angeles. Um, Los Angeles has about 9 million people. The city we lived in for about three years has 25 million people. You can probably make out what the city is behind me on the video. So our team would often go out into the masses of people and share the gospel in taxi cabs, coffee shops. And we even use social media as like a net or a tool to cast them out into these seas to see what the Lord has for us. So we trained and we served there, but now we're launching out to a new Islamic nation right nearby. You can find out what that is behind me as well. This nation has very few Christians, very few missionaries going, and churches. It's a population of about 40 million people, and it is 99% Islamic. They say maybe 0.2, 0.3% are Christian. And we want to go and proclaim Christ and plant churches in these lands for the glory of God. But even if we shared the gospel 100 times a day in these Arab lands, it wouldn't touch the number of people living in these areas. 
millions and millions and millions of Muslims who don't know Christ, who have little access to him. They don't know a Christian. They don't have a church in their area, or it's very difficult to even get into a church. Many who do not have a chance to ever hear about the words of Christ. Why we go to Muslims, why we move our families to hot or hard regions, why we sweat and toil to plant churches, why sometimes we go back and forth in sweaty taxi cabs with a Muslim is fundamentally and fiercely for one thing. It's for the glory and praise of God, the mission of God throughout the entire earth. So in this message, you're going to hear some stories You're going to hear about the need in these lands, and we're going to even dive into the scriptures. And I'm going to even share what the Lord is doing in my heart. But if you forget most of what I say, and they say statistically people forget sermons, I don't want you to forget this. Everything in your life, your church, your job, parenting, missions, preaching to Muslims or meth addicts, changing diapers or typing on a keyboard should always be for the glory and praise of God. Enjoying enjoying and honoring him in in all that we do daily. So our passage today, if you'd like to open up your Bibles or follow along with me on the screen, will be in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, starting in verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant, whom I've chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets." A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the nations will hope. The prime example of the life lived for the glory of God was none other than Jesus the Messiah. And Matthew, in his gospel, takes a prophecy from Isaiah and applies it to Jesus. So 700 years before Matthew pins his gospel, Isaiah, the prophet, speaks to somebody called the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord is one of the key and central figures in the book of Isaiah. He's scattered throughout it. The servant of the Lord brings forth justice, chapter 42. He teaches the nations. He atones for sins with his life, 52. He suffers, 53. He is humble. He is also high and lifted up. The same two Greek words used for God in his heavenly temple, chapter 6 and 51. He sets people free from darkness and chains, 42. He sustains a weary with the word, 50. He is chosen by God. He is hidden by God like a polished arrow, 49. And he is empowered by the spirit of God. The servant does everything perfectly, obediently for the glory of God. To sum up the servant's work, he suffers and bleeds for the nations, and then he takes justice to the nations. The servant fiercely and fundamentally 
lives for the glory of God. His heart beats for God's glory. It's what gets him up in the morning. This exalted and suffering servant in Isaiah's prophecies, Matthew says, that's all Jesus. The man before your eyes right now, that is the servant of the Lord. So Matthew arranges this prophecy in his gospel in a significant way, um, and I believe in an intentional way. He takes a set of stories and teachings of Jesus, and then he, he places them around the prophecy. You'll see a graphic behind me that illustrates this. It's kind of like an in and out double-double cheeseburger, right? So you got the meat in the middle and the buns on top and the bottom. And what these do, what these set of stories do around the servant prophecy is they point in to illustrate vividly and robustly that Jesus is the servant of the Lord. We're going to see how. So this is your time to take out your Bible nerd glasses and put them on. We're going to dive deep into the scriptures and see what God has for us. So let's back up from our main passage into Matthew 11, starting in verse 27, the top part of our Double-double internet cheeseburger. Hope you guys are getting hungry. <laughs> Jesus declares all things have been handed over to him and that he alone knows the Father and chooses to reveal God to whoever he wants to. Some scholars say that this statement by Jesus is a direct claim to divinity. He's saying, I'm God. No other person can say this. Not Mohammed, not Buddha, not any president can say something like this. Jesus then gives his famous invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is not saying is your life will be easy Difficult, difficulties vanish and you'll be resting in pleasure your whole life. He's not saying that. I have two little toddlers and I can tell you right now, life's not always easy. And there are Muslims who convert to Jesus that as soon as they do, their entire communities begin to persecute them. His rest does offer comfort for our difficulties and correct perspective. But if you notice from this passage, he still is giving you a burden. He still is giving you a yoke. In context, a yoke or a burden, something they put over a cow to tread the fields, is someone's interpretation or application of Torah. It's a metaphor Jesus is using. He has his interpretation of the law, and he's comparing it to the yoke, the burdensome legalistic yoke of the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, come to me, and I'm going to show you how to properly obey and glorify God. And by doing so, your soul will find eternal rest today and in the age to come. So that you can peacefully serve God now despite difficulties. One of our leaders in our movement has a house church in Saudi Arabia. And it's filled with Muslims who converted to Christ. And these Muslims share about all the persecutions they go through, from whippings, from being ostracized from their families, uh, to legal prosecutions against them, all mostly because they're Christians. And one Muslim in the group who became a follower of Jesus began to share a, a dream he had. And he said, he said to his, his fellow brothers in the room, the Lord gave me a vision of my death. 
I was walking and this Arab Muslim man came sneaking up behind me with a knife and slit my throat and I died. But on the other side of the stream, I had a revelation of heaven and I was in the presence of Jesus. And if I ever see this man in the streets, I'm gonna run up to him and give him a hug because he's sending me to be with my Jesus. This man tasted the rest to come and he now rests in this age now. But for some, this rest has not been experienced. Islam's yoke is heavy and it's opposed to the gospel. It's a religion, a proclamation against the glory of God. I once had a Muslim Uber driver friend tell me how much he loves Jesus. He goes, I love his kindness. I love his miracles. I love that he loves. But I would rather believe God didn't exist than if Jesus was God's son. God cannot have a son, he said. Islam is a, has a legalistic tradition as well. It asserts that submission Works and obedience is what will get you into paradise or rest. And this can be a burden to the masses of people. So many Muslims are constantly thinking of the ways and the good deeds they must do to enter this rest. From trimming their beards the right way to their nails to the month-long month long fast of Ramadan. They're constantly thinking how they can outweigh their bad deeds with their good deeds. We were talking to one of our Arabic teachers once about the hijab that women wear. They wear it um, around their face, but some of them wear it all the way up to their eyes, where you can only see their eyes. And we asked her, do you ever want to wear this hijab? What do you think about that hijab specifically? And she said, I wish I can wear that, because if I can, then I would, I would be holy before Allah. Through their efforts through their prophet, from their yoke, they try to obtain the rest and forgiveness only Jesus offers. But God is working among them. There's another Arab Christian couple in North Africa that's connected to our team. And the wife one day had a dream. And in this dream, a shepherd came running up to her and said, I've been waiting for you to share the good news with me. So she woke up from this dream and she told her husband, I think the Lord wants me to be more bold in my faith and just share with more people around me. So sometime later, they drove out of the city to pray. And she told her husband, stop the car. This is the field I had my dream. She got out of the car and lo and behold, there was a shepherd off in the distance and he was running. And he came running up to her and said, I've been waiting for you to share the good news with me. God is working among them. She shared the gospel with this Muslim. He believed in his heart and now they're discipling him now in his faith. faith. This Muslim is experiencing the yoke and the rest of Jesus in this age and the age to come despite the difficulties. Whether it's a Muslim or a Christian running away from God, when we come under Jesus' yoke and we run away from the yoke we've been living under, when we come under the servant's teaching, the gospel, our lives can change and bring glory to God and we will rest. The first point today is the way we live lives to bring glory to God is by resting in the yoke of the one who supremely glorifies God, the servant of the Lord, Christ Jesus. Take off the yoke of man and put on the yoke of Jesus. So one of the core values of our organization, of our movement, Live Dead, 
is this idea of abiding in Christ. John 15 says that when you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. You will, bear, you will glorify God. Theologically, we abide, in, we abide in Christ by repenting and coming to him in trust and faith. But practically, this is a daily endeavor. We abide in God's word, studying it, meditating on it, thinking about it throughout our day. We abide in lingering prayer and worship. We abide by loving those that frustrate us frustrate us, even if they're sitting next to you on these pews right now. We abide by trusting and obeying Jesus and going where he goes. So let us strive to rest in Jesus daily, rest in his yoke, rest in his perfect life, recognizing this, nothing you or I can do will ever please and glorify God. Nothing outside of Christ. It won't be your personality or your skills or your job or your giving or your ministry or your knowledge. Nothing except Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. As the hymn says, nothing but Christ is on we tread. The gift unpriced, God's living bread with staff in hand and feet well shod. Nothing but Christ, the Christ of God. So let's head further into our passage. So, after Jesus' invitation to his yoke offers rest, Matthew then arranges two stories that illustrate and describe how Jesus offers this rest. You can see them in blue in my little diagram over here. Remember, Matthew is arranging these prophecies in a specific way. He's trying to, he's trying to get us to think deeper about who Jesus is. He's not going to just put up a prophecy and say, that's Jesus. He wants to make us think about what we're seeing before our eyes, our reading. In both of these stories, you can go into your Bibles after service and look at these stories in full. Um, There's an argument between Jesus and the Pharisees over the interpretation of resting and working on the Sabbath. This is a command in the Old Testament. Jesus allows his disciples in one story to pick grain and eat it on the Sabbath. And then on another Sabbath, he heals a man's arm completely. Something, both of these acts were against the interpretation or the yoke of the Pharisees. They had their way of honoring God and Jesus had his ways. In both of these stories though, Jesus chooses to do good. He shows mercy and grace on the Sabbath command and rest. Can you guys see how Matthew is playing with this idea of resting on the Sabbath and Jesus just saying right before this, come to me and I'll give you rest. Two stories that follow are about rest. What we see is Jesus's view versus the Pharisees view on honoring God. What interpretation glorifies God? Jesus's way or the Pharisees way? Jesus's way or Islam's way? Jesus' way or your way? Jesus' yoke, his law, his way sets people free. It heals, it breaks chains, it's full of grace and mercy. It brings justice and it does good to others. This is an important point. In our devotion to God, we must consider the good and justice of others. This is a consistent point in the scriptures. When you do not consider those around you, sitting next to you, out in the streets, your neighbor, and then you try to glorify God, 
This usually pans out to pride, puffing yourself up, legalism, and hurting those around you, just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to glorify God. They were passionate about the Bible, but they hurt others in the process. In Islam, they have five pillars of faith. One of them is to go on Hajj, which is a pilgrimage to Mecca. And on this pilgrimage, they go to this, the, the city of Mecca. You'll see on the graphic behind me this giant black box. And in this black box, there's a black rock. And what Muslims will do is they'll circle around this about seven times, and they're going to try to touch this black rock. They're trying to make their way in to touch it or kiss it. If they can touch or kiss it, they can receive a blessing from God. So there's this story of this Muslim man going out to the Kaaba, going out to Mecca. He's pumped. He's excited. He's wearing this white robe that represents their sins are being washed away. You can see it in that picture. And he gets there, and he starts to see the violence that takes place as his brothers and sisters are trying to just touch this black rock and get that blessing from God. And he sees them hurting each other, stomping each other down on the ground. And he says, if this is Islam, I don't want anything to do with it. And he left his faith. Listen, guys, we can judge the Muslims for this violence or what we see on the news, for making their circles around this black box. But don't we, too, make circles around our American dreams? Don't we kiss the hands of political leaders on both sides or build up our kingdoms of personal success, glory, and wealth, all while we push, stomp down the poor, the refugee, the minority, our church family, and the nations? We do it too. And we need to call out to God to show us how, to help us in this, to reveal our hearts and say, God, help us so we don't hurt our brothers and sisters next to us or out there. We need his grace. We need his help. The second point today is we glorify God by doing good to others, serving them. And we're taught how by the life and grace of Jesus, the servant of the Lord. We need the servant of the Lord's help. We need his yoke. We need his power. We need him so we can do good to others. We need him so we can learn how to glorify God. So I ask, oh Christians, will we all call out to him for help? Will we ask him to reveal the secret parts of our heart? And he will help us. Sometime before my wife and I left for the Arab world, we were talking one day and we were really pumped and excited to go. We couldn't wait to go. We want to do this for the rest of our lives, preaching the gospel to Muslims, loving them, planting churches. This is all we want to do. But I told my wife, I confessed something to her. I said, "Hun, I feel bad for something. I don't have this, all this love in my heart for Muslims and Arabs. It's just, it's not there. Shouldn't I have this in my heart if I'm going to go be a minister among them? And she said, I I feel the same way. And I began to call out to God for help with my heart. And we got on the plane and we went out into their streets and we ate their food. We let them hold and kiss our babies. We went to their weddings. We talked with them late into the night and our hearts began to change. There was one night where my wife and I were walking. It was Valentine's Day. She was about eight months pregnant. It was our last date ever. And as we were walking, 
as we were walking, these two young boys walked by, they're probably 19 years old, 18, 19, with uh, AK-47s. And I looked at her and I said, I love this place. And she smiled at me and said, I love this place too. God will change your heart when you step out in obedience. Sometimes you're not gonna feel anything in your heart. You won't feel love. You're not gonna feel anything. But we step out in trust and we go where Jesus is serving. We call out to him and repent of the darkness in our hearts and we live for the glory of God and not our own. And God will mold our hearts to his. And listen, guys, this isn't a one and done deal either. Every day we must do this. Every day we have to get on our knees and call and ask God for help. Even me, I have to get on my face and say, God, I don't want to do this or I'm afraid or I'm scared or I don't have love. Help me. Put your love inside my heart. We step out in obedience regardless of what we're feeling. So let's move on from our passage. Now we're gonna go into the meat of our double-double In-N-Out cheeseburger. This is getting me hungry. Or a Chick-fil-A sandwich, if you prefer that. But it's not open anymore. Chapter, or uh, I'm sorry, verses 15 and 17. So this is the, the main, this is the meat of our burger. And so we already read it in the beginning, so I'm going to summarize. But the ending of this passage, verses 20 and 21, it says that the servant, by the Spirit of God, serves and brings justice to all nations. He does good to the nations. And this is the third point I want to stress today is that we must follow Jesus in serving the nations so that they may glory and rest in God, which is the mission of God the servant is on. The ending of Isaiah's prophecy actually leads us to this point. So verses 20 and 21 says this, a smoldering wick he will not quench till he brings justice to victory and in his name the nations will hope. So here's what's happening. This is Bible nerd moment time. Matthew quotes Isaiah's verse in this passage, but he uses the Greek translation of Isaiah, which slightly differs from the Hebrew translation. He intentionally chose the Greek translation to emphasize emphasize a significant point that I'm gonna shed some light on. In Hebrew, in Isaiah 42, so Isaiah 42 in Hebrew, it says this. In his law, the islands put their hope. But quoting Greek translation, Matthew's gospel says, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Two words are rendered differently. Here, Matthew is emphasizing the theological meaning of law and islands. Where the Hebrew writers said law, the Greek translators render this as name because it's the name of Jesus that fulfills all the law and the name of Jesus, which is the true rock, the yoke and the life where we can place our hope. And where the Hebrew writers said islands, the Greek translators render this as nations because this hope is not only for some specific faraway island, but it's for all islands and all nations and all people of the earth. Jesus is the answer to the world. Jesus is the one who embodies God's law perfectly. Jesus is the one to be the object of hope, justice, life, and glory for the earth. And Jesus is the son of God, the closest thing to God, the father, the servant of the Lord, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Jesus is on mission to go out into the world for his father's name. 
so that all nations, all tongues, all people groups, from the Muslims to the Buddhists, from the Somalis to the Afghanis, will know about Jesus. And we, as the church, together, are the means in which the world will know. There are still places in the world where Christ is not known, where people do not glory in God and where statistically few missionaries and missions funds are sent. I was in the country of Algeria to give an example of this. I was in the country of Algeria once and I was feeding birds at a park with my son. And I met this older man, he's in his 40s, he's not old, 40s, (laughs) and he said his name was Karim. And Karim means generous in Arabic. And, And I said, Karim, have you ever met a Christian before? And he said, you're the first Christian I've ever met in my life. He was 40 years old. And they had a pizza hut in this city. And this guy's never met a Christian in his life. Listen, there are lost people everywhere, but there isn't access everywhere. There are lost people right here in Bakersfield who are deeply loved by God, and let's go out and reach them. But in America and Bakersfield and other places, there is tremendous access to Jesus. There's Christians in the workplaces. There's churches on every corner. There's Christian colleges and radio stations. We have hundreds of Bible translations. The the lost have access to Jesus. They have a chance to hear about the gospel. And for the glory of God, let's go reach them. But there are lost places. There are lost people in places of the world where they don't have access to the gospel. Islamic, Buddhist, Hindu places where there are no Christians or very few. Very few to none, to zero churches or missionaries. Christian radio stations or camps. Some of them don't even have a Bible in their language. They have no chance to hear probably in their entire lifetime unless we go. There is darkness everywhere but there isn't light everywhere. We, church, are the light of the world. So I ask you, will you give them access? Will you join the mission of God and be the light of Christ to the world? So let's move on from our passage and we're gonna look at the second set of scriptures in our In-N-Out Hamburger, verses 22 through 29. So I'll summarize this. Jesus heals a blind and mute demon-possessed man. He sets him free from his demonic darkness. He then says that he's working by the spirit of God, not by the prince of demons, which the Pharisees accuse him of. And then he declares that his work is to plunder the strong man, which in context is Satan. So in this last set of passages, there's servant of the Lord parallels all over the place, if you catch the wording. So... What you can see, if you compare Isaiah's passages, you're gonna see similar wording in Matthew's passages. And Matthew is wanting to show us a link. So in Isaiah 42, it says, the servant of the Lord is clothed with the spirit of God. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, I don't work by the prince of demons. I work by this power of God, the spirit of God. In Isaiah 42, it says, the servant opens blind eyes and sets prisoners free of their dark dungeons. Jesus literally just opened a blind guy's eyes up and then just set him free of his demonic dark dungeon. Right here in this passage. In Isaiah 49, in context, it's all about the servant of the Lord. But at the end, interestingly, 
It's God himself that goes to battle against the fierce and the warriors. And it says this, God plunders them. This is exactly what Jesus, God in the flesh is doing. He says, I am plundering Satan of his reign. Jesus does this by his works and by his might and ministry. So a few years before my wife and I left for the field, I've told this story actually before at this church many years ago. Um, Me and my good friend were selling a refrigerator in his garage and this guy came up and was gonna buy it and we got to talking with this guy and he, he began to tell us how he used to fight in the Gulf War uh, for Iran. So he was an Iranian platoon. Um, he, was a, he was, yeah, in the Iranian guard and he was a platoon leader. And he said one night as him and his troops were running out to a base to attack it, he heard a voice from the sky and the voice said to him, stop killing and start healing. And he looked up and he said, who are you, Allah? And it said, I'm Isa el Messiah, which is, I am Jesus, the Messiah. And he said, who's that? He didn't know who it was. And then the voice said again, stop killing and start healing. To make a long story short, he ended up becoming a Christian. He stopped fighting. He said the fight just sucked out of him and he wasn't able to fight anymore. And the Lord, by the spirit of God, began to use him in his community to lay hands on the sick and they would get healed in the name of Jesus. He said there was one time where his uh, friend's daughter had a really bad fever and he walked up to her and he laid hands on her and the girl shot up out of bed and said, I'm hungry, can I have something to eat? And um, the friend said to him, did you just pray in the name of Muhammad? And he said, I prayed in the name of Jesus. It got so bad, he was just laying hands on people. He wasn't fighting anymore. And it reminded me of what Jesus told him, stop killing and start healing, that he had to flee from the country. And now he's somewhere in Bakersfield. He did this by the spirit of almighty God. The third point today is we must be full of the spirit of God so we can live for the glory of God and minister to those around us by his might just like Jesus, the servant, did. Be filled with God's spirit to serve your local church, ministering to your neighbors or the toddlers on your living room floor. Be filled to go beyond these walls and borders and join the mission of God and go out into the nations, out to the Mohammeds, to the Fatimas, and to the Kareems, where Jesus is not known. The servant was a warrior. The servant was humble and he taught justice. But finally... The pinnacle of his life was his death. The last and final point this morning is that we must die to self so we can live for God. Because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. In Isaiah 52 and 53, passages about the servant of the Lord, it talks about how the servant spills his blood for the nations. He takes our punishment, he cleanses us, and then he gives us righteousness before a holy and just God. For God's glory and love, Jesus came to serve every single person in this room and beyond with his life. So I'm gonna ask you, will you go out now and serve him with yours? This is where we get our name live dead from. We live a life of dying daily so that others may live 
in Christ. And we don't have to worry about our lives because we have Jesus inside of us. We have eternal life pumping through our veins. We have rest. I wanted to give you guys some just practical ways you can join the mission of God. What's next? What can you do? You're listening to this. What's next? We see this mission of God from Genesis to Revelation, where God is making his name known. You see this in Abraham and David and Israel to the prophets and then to Jesus, where God's glory is being projected out into the nations. Jesus even gives his, one last, uh, one, his last command before he ascends up to his father's throne. He says to us, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. So the question is not if you will join the mission of God, but how will you join the mission of God? How? We all have our part in this. So I wanted to give a brief illustration to this point. So the goal or the target missions, when you hear that word, what is missions? The goal is to make disciples of all nations or people groups is what we can call them. So if you look at this uh, map graphic behind me on the screen, Each of those red dots represents a people group who have zero to little Christians among them. They have little access to Jesus. There may be a few or there may be none at all, all those little red dots. We must prioritize these places. Again, very few missionaries and finances go out to these places. We can do this by planting churches among them. A church is an important part of this discipleship command. This is what Paul did. He went as a missionary and he planted churches and he, elected, he raised up leaders. This is our target and this is what we aim at. Here's the next thing. The spear, if you can look behind me all as well, is the people of God. And on this spear, we can each find our place and our job. And this spear... Is, is directed out towards the nations, holding in the hand by God himself. He's throwing it at this target. We find our place on this spear. So if this is directed out to the nations, at the tip then we can say, these are the pioneer missionaries. What these do is they go into these unreached places. They preach the gospel. They stay long-term. They plant churches and they disciple these unreached people groups. But this, but this tip consists also of a spearhead which gives weight so the tip can stab into the target. We can say these are our leaders on the field with us. They're teaching us. They're encouraging us. They're writing our budgets out. They're pouring into us as missionaries. But let me ask you something. If I just walked up with a spearhead only, not the shaft, just the spearhead, and walked up to a big elephant and tried to throw the spearhead at it, what would happen? I'd torque it off, and I better be running. It wouldn't make the kill. And I'm going to make that thing mad. This is why we need the entire shaft of the spear. So it can fly through the air for the glory of of God as he throws it. And it can make the kill and hit the target. This is where we can say the administrators are found. The local churches who faithfully support us in, in prayer. Or the poor college student who gives 10 bucks a month to missions. Or the outspoken youth leader who's always telling their students about the mission of God. Or taking them on trips. Or it's the elderly lady or man who's maybe living in the manors praying 50 times a day for their missionaries. We all have our place on the spear. 
We're all needed to hit the target for the, for the glory of God. So my question is, what is your place on this spear? If you're wondering and you're trying to figure this all out, how can I get involved in the mission of God? I'd say one of the first places you can do, first places you can start is to learn and then to act. I have a table out there with tons of free resources I wanna give you, ways that you can go. You can sign up for virtual missions trips. You can go, to, you can go on a real trip out into the Arab world and we can climb up a mosque tower and pray over the city. We have opportunities for you to cultivate God's love for the nations in your heart. I also have devotionals and just so many things I wanna give away to you. Cultivate God's mission in your heart and then act upon it. You can give, you can pray, you can go. You can even be an advocate in your small groups or Bible studies. But in all of these, there will be something. There will be something you will need to let go of. Maybe many things. So as my friend and I loaded the refrigerator into our truck to follow this guy out to his apartment, we're driving. The refrigerator falls out on the 99, loaded back up, it's fine, it's dented. And we get to his apartment and I march up to this guy and he, he told us before that his English name was Wilson. And I say, Wilson, how do we live a life like you? How do we do that? How do we live a life like you? And he holds out his hand and he said, God just wants men and women, and he started pointing at it, who hold everything in their life loosely. For the glory of God, they'll just give it up. And I began to look at his hand and seeing things I was holding tight onto, good things, not just bad things, good things. And God started to work on my heart. That story is actually a part of why I'm going to Arabs and Muslims, because of that man. So my question is to you, what are you holding on to? What are the things you're gripping on to? Amen, we need to let go of sin. Let go of that for the glory of God. But there's, some, there's even good things we need to let go of. And only God can tell you that. Everyone in this room, I want you to listen to this too. God's grace is at work in your life. God's grace woke you up this morning and brought you to church. God's grace brings you to Bible studies or small groups. God's grace empowers you to serve this church. He is with you. God is at work in your life, and it will be God's grace that enables you to let these things go for his glory. So like the servant, like the apostles, like many Muslims coming to Christ, will you go, pray, sweat, abide, and live and die for the glory of God among the nations? Fathers, will you send out your sons as warriors for Christ? Not just with military power, but equipped with the gospel of Jesus. Mothers, will you set free your daughters to the Arabs or the animists and raise up your little ones in the scriptures throughout the day and then also to befriend the Muslims and the Buddhists out into those parks in Bakersfield, teaching them to share Christ's name with them. And will this church raise up more and more young missionary families, 70-year-old Wilson warriors from these pews, sending them out on the mission of God alongside the one who gives rest, hope, and who fiercely does good to all, the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, all for the glory and honor and praise of God. I wanted to take a time for us to respond to this
So I'm going to ask you all, if you would like, to bow your heads, but I don't want you to close your eyes. I want you to keep your eyes open. And what I'm going to have you do is hold out a palm in front of you. And I want you to look at your palm, the palm of your hand. And I want you to ask God, what is that that you're holding on tightly to? Ask him to show you what you need to let go of, what you may need to repent of. Again, it could be sin, but sometimes, many times, good things can turn into idols. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, my mothers and my fathers in this room. I thank you so much for every single one of them. I ask that you cultivate our hearts in your mission. I pray that you help us to do good to others. May we serve those who sit next to us. May we be kind to everyone around us and loving, thinking what's best for them. Teach us, God, to do good to others. Teach us to rest in your son, Jesus. Teach us how to go out into the nations, how to join this spear so we can hit the target and we can smile and rejoice when we see Jesus, our king, the servant of the Lord, coming through those clouds one day. We ask this all in his holy and perfect name. Amen. Where you go, just wanted to point something out, especially with our young people in the service today. You and I were speaking one time and you mentioned how there seems to be a lack of young men, mm. single young men going to the mission field. And, and what was the reason for that? What was the speculation? So they, yeah, so they say one in seven missionaries are men. So a lot of women are going, which is awesome. We need women, but not a lot of men are going. And, um, I, they think it's because guys want to stay back and get married. I'm not sure. <laughs> or, but video games are connected to it too. And they're basically saying like, not that video ga- you play video games and you're not going to be a missionary, but that adventureness we have in us as guys, we want to go out on a quest and adventure and do this. It's being taken care of in our video games or board games. And I love board games, by the way. <laughs> so what we, the challenge is to our young men you don't just have to play a video game. Why don't you go live it? Yeah. Why don't you go live your adventure in dangerous places for Jesus? Draper and my daughter and grandsons are going to a dangerous place. And I think the call needs to go out to our young men, our young single men especially, that it's, it's okay to play video games, but that's not real. Why don't, make, why don't you make it real and go live it? Go to these lands. They have short-term missions trips where you can taste of the adventure. I'm telling you, we've been to those lands. We've been to those cities, Jolene and I, and it is a different world. And you know that this, you know, this isn't Kansas anymore, and this isn't a safe place, especially for believers. But it's an adventure. It's alive. It's doing the work for Jesus. So we especially want to challenge our young folks, our young men, Go live an adventure. Go to the mission field, even if it's a short-term trip. Mm. So thank you, Draper. Let's give Draper a hand. Thank you. You should have been given a faith promise card. If you don't have one, it should be in the back of the pew, or you can raise your hand. What this does for us is it helps our missions board. Now, our missions board meets every month. They interview missionaries. They vet them. They take the responsibility of bringing on new missionaries. We've been able to bring on new missionaries. 
But by filling out this card, this helps us budget for next year. How much can we spend? How many missionaries can we take on? Now, some people, when they give, they give and they designate a specific missionary. And that's okay. There's no problem with that. But what we really need are people to give undesignated. Because we have 60 missionaries to support. And if everybody just designates it, we won't be able to support our 60 missionaries. And so I'm asking you today to make a faith promise, every one of us. It can be $5 a month. It can be $50 a month. It can be $500, whatever the Lord has given you in resources. This is not a pledge. We don't follow up on it. This is a faith promise. As God gives, you will give. And so if you're already giving, you may God may be challenging you to give a little more. Just give a little bit more this time. And so if you would just fill out this side, and you don't even have to put your name. If you'd rather remain anonymous, that's no problem. We just need to know the amount that you're believing God for that you're going to commit every month to missionaries. And so if you would take that, you can tear off this small portion to keep and just drop it in the offering boxes as you leave or bring it into the church office. These will be available next week as well. But let's, let's give our missions committee great resources to, to reach the lost around the world. Would you stand with me? And let's pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this message that challenges us. Jesus, I thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And if we go and follow you, we will find rest for our souls. And so, Lord, we pray for our missionaries, Lord. We pray for them around the world and where they're willing to go and make these sacrifices to leave family and go in dangerous places. I pray for the families like me who see them go. And we have to put our faith and trust in you that you will carry them through. And so, Lord, I thank you that this church in our DNA is to give and go to missions and to pray. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing on our missionaries in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward as well. We're still going to have prayer this morning. If you need prayer for healing, prayer for any kind of miracle, our elders are coming forward to offer that prayer. I hope you'll come tonight. Let's, we haven't heard Teen Challenge in a couple years because of COVID. So come tonight, fired up to support and be ministered to by Teen Challenge. God bless you. You're free to go. If there was ever a time for the gospel that can transform the human heart, it's now. May we invest what little time we have 